0: have you open up tonight to Matthew chapter 16 verses 24 through 27. This obviously is part of the January series that us pastors have done. Uh, this year our theme was, I think technically it was called Pretty Bad Errors, but I put it in the bulletin as heresies, kind of all the same thing. Uh, and, and I trust many of you have been blessed by that. I Heard from the congregation of Rusk last week where I was. They enjoyed it so much, the series, and heard that tonight from some of you as well. And so we'll bring that to a completion this evening, uh, and we'll talk about the heresy uh, known as the prosperity uh, gospel, or the prosperity false gospel, as I call it. Our scripture passage, Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27, familiar words, hear God's word. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done." Thus far the reading of God's Word. Let's pray together and ask His blessing upon our study of it tonight. Father in heaven, we have heard Your Word read, and we look forward now to hearing Your Word preached. And Father, we do ask for Your blessing upon the preached Word tonight. Lord, may it go forth with accuracy, with clarity, with boldness and conviction, and may it be used by you to build your church and bless your people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Dear congregation, I think many of you probably know this. Uh, The churches that I preached in the last few weeks perhaps did not, but the, the first church that I served uh, was called Prosper Christian Reformed Church. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget what was said to me by a man who, who joined our church in my time there. Uh, he told me that for the longest time he avoided coming to our church because he just figured that it was one of those prosperity gospel churches. And of course, you know why he thought that. The church's name is Prosper. And in that man's mind, that put up a red flag. Now, the reason uh, that church is called Prosper is, I would say, the same reason that a church like Rusk uh, is called Rusk, or maybe Oakland uh, is called Oakland. Because long ago, uh, the people who settled in that little part of the world gave that place that name. Now, the interesting thing about places like Rusk and Oakland and Prosper is that if it weren't for a church which still bears that name, most of those little places would kind of be lost to history. And so there's no town of Prosper just as there's no town of Rusk and no town of Oakland. And so that man saw a church called Prosper Christian Reformed Church in the middle of a cornfield. And he thought, well, certainly this is one of those prosperity gospel churches. Anyways, by God's grace, this man did eventually come to our church. I think it was kind of a last resort. He had tried a bunch of them around the area. and wasn't happy. He's like, I guess I'll give it a whirl. Uh, he came to our church. Uh, he discovered that we were not, in fact, one of those prosperity gospel churches. He was educated on why the church was named as it was, and he happily But the fact is that man, with his question and concern, did identify a problem in the church today. And the problem is the prosperity gospel. Now, I trust you've heard that term before, the prosperity gospel. Sometimes it, it goes by different names, or I should say over the last 30, 40 years or so, it's gone by different names. Uh, the health and wealth gospel uh, is another name given to this. The, the word of faith movement is another name given to this. Uh, name it and claim it theology uh, is another name given to this. But it's, it's all really the same thing. Those are all different terms which have been used throughout the years to describe this thing which is most often today called the prosperity gospel. Now, what is prosperity? The prosperity gospel, here's a definition, this one from Ligonier Ministries. The prosperity gospel is one of the most prominent false teaching movements of our day. Prosperity gospel preachers and televangelists have deceived multitudes around the world with a false gospel teaching, and this, so this is, what, this is what the prosperity gospel teaches, teaching that individuals who exercise true faith in Christ, will surely attain physical, material, and financial prosperity in this life. I'll say that last part again. The prosperity gospel teaches that individuals who exercise true faith in Christ will surely attain physical, material, and financial prosperity in this life. So the prosperity gospel most simply Uh, is the teaching that if you faithfully serve Christ, you will be healthy and you will be wealthy. You will be prosperous. Things will go well for you. Now, is that true? Is that what Scripture teaches? You know the answer. The title of this sermon is The Prosperity False Gospel. Okay, there's no suspense here, as if we're going to discover something we didn't think was true, all right? The prosperity gospel is very much a false gospel. Now, there are many passages of scripture we could turn to to show that the prosperity gospel is a false gospel. There's much more that could be said about this false gospel and its various nuances. Uh, I think I could honestly preach for several weeks on this topic and on its various abuses of scripture, but tonight we're simply turning to one passage of scripture, which by itself exposes the prosperity gospel for the false gospel it is. That passage is the one we read, Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. And from this passage tonight, we'll notice two simple things. First, how we follow Jesus and second, why we follow Jesus. How we follow Jesus, why we follow Jesus. Let's begin with the how. How we follow Jesus. In our text, we see that we follow Jesus through self-denial and suffering. We follow Jesus through self-denial and suffering. We'll begin now with self-denial. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself now what does it mean he must deny himself well hopefully your Bibles are still open and you can you can look at the context here Um, notice what has just happened all right look at Matthew 16 verses 21 through 23 in those verses Jesus predicted his death and Peter responded by saying no Lord This will never happen to you. So what did Peter do? Well, Peter, in those verses, rather than submitting to Christ, tried to make himself sovereign over Christ. Peter, rather than listening to Christ, tried to tell Christ what to do. In those verses before this one, Peter said two words, boys and girls, that never go together. No, Lord. You can't put those words together. That doesn't work. But that's what Peter did. Peter said, no, Lord. Of course, Jesus had some strong words to say back to Peter. There he said, get behind me, Satan. But it's immediately after this that Jesus proceeds to say, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. And in context, then, Jesus is saying something like, okay, if you're going to follow me, you must accept that I am Lord and you are not. If you're going to follow me, you must accept that I am king and you are not. I call the shots and you do not. That's the gist of this call to self-denial. It's the call to recognize that Christ, rather than us, is the sovereign Lord of all. One commentator says, self-denial is not so much giving up chocolate for Lent as it is giving up on ourselves as lords. It is the decision to let another lord rule one's life. I would say Jesus himself really exemplified what it looks like to deny yourself when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed to the Father, Father, if you're willing, let this cup pass from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus there denied himself and submitted to the will of his Father. And when Jesus says, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, he's saying we must do the same thing with him. We must accept that he is Lord, we are not. He knows best, we do not. He calls the shots, we do not. And already here, we we run afoul with the teachings of the prosperity gospel because although the preachers and teachers of the prosperity gospel would never openly claim that we are gods and Jesus is not, that is ultimately what they teach. Okay, in the prosperity gospel, God becomes our servant. John MacArthur says, in prosperity religion, the believer uses God. Whereas the truth of biblical Christianity is God uses the believer. All right, in the prosperity gospel, the believer uses God. In the prosperity gospel, the believer doesn't doesn't humble himself before God. He doesn't become a servant of God. He uses God. Far from denying himself then, in the prosperity gospel, the believer is called to exalt himself. He's called to be the one who tells God what to do. Now thus far, I've quoted John MacArthur. Probably won't surprise you to hear John MacArthur laying the hammer down on the prosperity gospel. Shouldn't surprise you hear John MacArthur laying the hammer down on anything, if you know John MacArthur. Let's quote from one of the prosperity gospel preachers themselves to prove the point. Uh, This is a quote from a man named Creflo Dollar. Love it. Prosperity gospel preacher with the last name Dollar. (laughs) Anyway, he ministers today in the Atlanta area. You can Google him, you can read about him. This is a direct quote from Creflo Dollar. When we pray, believing we have already received what we are praying, God has no choice but to make our prayers come to pass. God has no choice, he says. I don't really think those words go together either, do you? God has no choice. Listen, that, that's blasphemy actually. God always has a choice. God is God. God is sovereign. That's what it means to be sovereign. Following Jesus consists of recognizing this continually. If anyone comes after me, he must deny himself, Jesus says. He must give up on himself as Lord and as God. He must become a servant and let the Lord rule his life. The prosperity gospel knows nothing of that in practice. It makes us kings and God our, our, our servant, God our, our genie to grant our wishes. Well, we also follow Jesus through suffering, okay? We follow Jesus through self-denial. We also follow Jesus through suffering. Jesus says, if anyone comes after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. The cross is emblematic of suffering. And when Jesus tells us to take up our cross, he's telling us to ultimately embrace suffering in service to him. That doesn't mean we're to seek suffering out. It simply means that when suffering comes into our lives, which it will, which it does, we are to embrace that suffering in service To Christ. Sometimes suffering comes into our lives because of our service to Jesus. We we think of Stephen stoned to death because he testified to the death and resurrection of Jesus. He suffered because of his faith in Christ. Other times suffering comes into our lives, not necessarily because of our service to Jesus, but, but just because suffering is part of life in this sinful world. Think of that thorn in Paul's flesh. It was probably a physical ailment of some sort. He, he suffered not, not because of his faith, but just because suffering comes into our lives in this sin-cursed world, and yet, and yet this suffering too is to be embraced by followers of Jesus. Following Jesus consists of suffering. And each and every believer is called and will be called to take up their cross in service to Christ in some way, shape, or form throughout their lives. We will be, each of us will be. And truth be told, if we follow Jesus for for even a week, we probably already have been called to take up our cross in service to Jesus in some way, shape, or form. And once again, we run into conflict with the prosperity gospel. Because the prosperity gospel is ultimately concerned with the avoidance Of suffering. In their book, Health, Wealth and Happiness, David Jones and Russell Woodbridge write this, while followers of the prosperity gospel do not always explicitly state it, a big attraction of prosperity theology is the avoidance or alleviation of suffering." End quote. They say a big attraction of prosperity theology is the avoidance or alleviation of suffering. According to the prosperity gospel, Christians should not suffer. Now, I experienced the recklessness of this teaching firsthand a number of years ago. One Sunday, a woman, she came up to me after church, and this woman, she had suffered from a physical ailment that caused her great pain for a number of years. I think she had suffered from it for roughly 25 years uh, by this point in her life when she came up to me one Sunday after church. And she, she comes up to me and I look at her and I can see that she is distressed. And uh, she, she comes to me and she says, Pastor, can I talk to you? Yes, you can talk to me. What do you need? She says, I, I, my sister-in-law. My sister-in-law told me this weekend that The reason I haven't been healed is because I don't have enough faith. And with tears in her eyes, and this girl loves Jesus, she still loves Jesus. With tears in her eyes, she looks at me and she says, is that true? I assured her that was not true. I reminded her how Scripture is abundantly clear that even the faithful suffer. And then I asked her, where on earth did your sister-in-law get that unhelpful garbage theology? She said, I don't know, but I do know I've since found out exactly where her sister-in-law got that unhelpful garbage theology. She got it from the prosperity gospel. Here's a quote from one of the most well-known prosperity gospel preachers of our day. Who's heard of Joyce Meyer? Raise your hand. Last week I asked who listens to Joyce Meyer and a couple people kept their hand up. I won't do that to you, but if you do, do not listen to her anymore. Okay? You can listen to better people than Joyce Meyer. A lot of people in Christian Reform Churches listen to Joyce Meyer. <laughs> Don't listen to Joyce Meyer. This is a quote from Joyce Meyer. Direct quote. I have faith, for I am a believer. I believe I receive my healing. My faith makes me whole. The power that raised Christ from the dead is at work in me. My faith puts that power into active operation in my body. Disease has no choice. If healing does not occur, the problem is a person's lack of faith." End quote. There it is. There you have it. If you're suffering, it's your fault. You're the problem, you don't have enough faith. That stands up really well in Kristen's case, doesn't it, Dan? (laughs) Here's another quote, this one from another well-known prosperity gospel preacher of our day. He smiles a lot, got really nice hair. You know his name, don't you? Joel, Joel Osteen. I swear he had that smile surgically implanted on his face. No one's ever seen him without it. That's not nice. It shouldn't be. I'm I'm stooping. Anyways, this is a direct quote from Joel Osteen. God has already done everything he's going to do. The ball is now in your court. If you want success, if you want wisdom, if you want to be prosperous and healthy, you have to do more than just meditate and believe. You must boldly declare words of faith and victory over yourself and your family. End quote. It's there again, isn't it? The only thing keeping any one of you from being prosperous and healthy is you. You're the problem. You're, you're to blame. And yet, what does Jesus say? Never mind what Joyce Meyer says. Never mind what Joel Osteen says. What does Jesus say? He says, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He says, listen, Christian, this isn't supposed to be complicated. Suffering is part and parcel of following me. In this world, the Christian life is full of suffering. So full, right, that the inspired writer of Psalm 90 said that the years of our life are 70 or maybe by reason of strength, 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. I think I mentioned this to you before, but when I was a little kid, I thought, that, that's really not a very optimistic assessment of life. But as I've got older, I've thought, it, saw it's a very accurate assessment of life, isn't it? Their span is but toil and trouble. Suffering is part and parcel of following Jesus in this sin-cursed world. So that's how we follow Jesus. Let's note a second why we follow Jesus. We don't follow Jesus to gain the world, do we? Verse 26, what good will it be for a man if he gains the world, yet forfeits his soul? We learn here that, 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 that on the last day, many people will discover that they have gained the world at the expense of their soul. We don't follow Jesus to gain the world You can't follow Jesus and truly in your heart gain the world. You can't. 1 John 2, 15 and 16 says, don't love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father isn't in him for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes and the pride of life. It's not from the father, it's from the world. All right. Following Jesus, it's it's compromised by our gaining the world. We don't follow Christ to gain the world and yet, let's be honest, what is it that the prosperity gospel calls people to do? It calls people to gain the world. Jones and Woodbridge, the prosperity gospel does not point people toward Christ, instead it points them to the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And it does. And that's actually why I think the prosperity gospel is so popular. Because the prosperity gospel takes the greed that exists in each and every one of our hearts and it baptizes that greed in Christian colors. It takes the greed that's in our hearts and it allows us to indulge that greed under the guise of serving Christ. And yet in doing so, it puts people's souls in grave danger because we don't follow Christ to gain the world. Those who persist in gaining the world do it at the expense of their soul. Many people, many people who listen to the prosperity gospel preachers will find at the end of the age that they have gained the world at the expense of their soul. We don't follow Christ to gain the world. Why do we follow Jesus? We follow Jesus To gain eternal life. We see that in verse 27. There Jesus encourages us to deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him by reminding us that this world isn't all there is. No, the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to to what he has done. With those words, Jesus calls us to be faithful and, and reminds us, again, this world isn't all there is. No, this world will pass away. Christ, will return, and when Christ returns, only those who have trusted in Him for salvation, only those who have had His perfect righteousness credited to their account will be saved. Only those people will be taken into the joy and glory of heaven. That's why we follow Christ. So that being covered in His righteousness and united with Him by faith will be taken into the joy and glory of heaven. That's what we look forward to, right? That's our hope. Contrast that with the prosperity gospel. I've already quoted once from Joel Osteen's book. It's his bestseller. It's sold over 8 million copies, giving him a net worth of $60 million. I'm only about a third of that. What's the name of that book? The name of that book is this. You can't make this up. That's not the name of it, but you can't make this up. The name of Joel Osteen's book is this, Your Best Life Now. Your Best Life Now. Let me ask, is that what Jesus offers you? Your best life now? Well, it's true that he offers you today a better life than you've ever had before. And it's most certainly true that he offers you today a far better life than you would have without him. But does he offer you your best life now? Well, consider what he said to his disciples. In this world, you will have wealth, health, fame, nope trouble, trouble. Consider what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Rome, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Consider how John wraps up the Bible. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. and There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, "'Now the dwelling of God is with man. God will be with them, and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. can't tell you how many times I've sat with families before a funeral and read that passage and said, doesn't that sound good? Sounds a lot better than today, doesn't it? Yes, it does. The Bible's clear. Your best life as a follower of Christ is not now. Not at all not even close. Your best life is yet to come. That's why we follow Christ, to gain eternal life. A couple weeks ago, it was probably probably four or five weeks ago, uh, I didn't ask him if I could use his name, but I'm just going to use it, and I don't think he'll care. I think it's a good story. Dale Miedema texted me on a Friday night, and uh, he had lost his second brother in the span of one week. And on Friday night, he sends me a text message. Very simple. He said, my brother passed away. He was failing for nearly a year. He was ready to go to his heavenly home. Of course he was. He trusted in Jesus. He knew what Jesus had in store for him. But can you imagine if his brother had taken to heart the message of Joel Osteen? That his best life was now? That in that moment when he breathed his last, his best life had actually passed him by? That would be wretched. That'd be pitiful. That'd be devastating. That's the lousy hope the prosperity gospel offers. Thanks be to God. It is a false gospel. Let's pray. Our great and awesome God, we thank you for the blessed and true gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that You would give us eyes to see those distortions of the gospel and perversions of the gospel that exist in our world, and that You would help us daily to follow Jesus through self-denial and suffering, looking forward to eternal life. It's in His name we pray. Amen.